Tenakoto Kato, Ko Josh Taylor, Toku Ingua, Ko uh, Trinette, um, Toku Hoa Wahine, Ko Nathaniel Rawa, Ko Benjamin Aku um, Tama. So Benjamin's uh, our youngest son, uh, he's two weeks old today, um, nine days later than expected, uh, but healthy and well, um, and we're loving having him at home. Um, yeah, so it's great to be here today. I've been part of the MCC Fano for uh, uh, 14 years, something like that now. I've lost track. Um, and just looking forward to sharing with you. Um, when I was getting ready this morning, I put this jumper on and my uh, wife said, oh, you're wearing that. <laughs> um, our house church actually uh, gathered together with some of them to um, have breakfast and watch the game yesterday. Fortunately, I couldn't make it because uh, Nathaniel was a little bit unwell. But we did. Uh, we had our bacon and egg breakfast, and me and him watched it together. And it was the first uh, All Blacks game that we've watched together. Um, not the result I would have wanted, <laughs> but it was, it was really fun. And it, it actually got me thinking, um, I can clearly remember the first time that seeing the All Blacks lose. I think I was like about nine or ten at that stage. So I'd gone through my whole childhood and never seen them lose. And I believe it was actually to Australia in a Bledisloe Cup match. And, um, and then even after that, there was times like when that loss was like shocked. It was like, this never happens. How could that be? And I was just really stunned. And then even after that, it seemed like we'd go like stretches of like four years without losing a game. And then get a World Cup and we'd lose. And then keep going again. Um, and so I wonder what the legacy of the All Blacks, that story of the All Blacks might be um, for my son Nathaniel as he grows now. It's obviously going to be different, but there will still be that legacy there. And it's um, the theme, this, one of the themes we're following as we work through the book of John this year is that of story. Uh, this is in recognition of the importance of uh, remembering and passing on our stories, just as in the book of Deuteronomy, the Israelites were commanded to tell and retell their story. And as these stories are told and retold, uh, we're reminded of the whakapapa of our faith, uh, both in the, the global context, but also in our local context, in Aotearoa and in Massey right here, and in our individual lives. Mm. Um, this morning we're going to be discussing the story of Jesus uh, talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. This is the story of a group of people coming to know and believe that Jesus uh, is the Son of God. And a couple of the themes that we'll be exploring are that of food and drink, or perhaps more importantly, what food and drink uh, might represent in the story. And I thought, what better way to do that than while actually sharing some food and drink? So in a couple of minutes, I'm going to get you to uh, rearrange yourselves um, around some tables, and some of the young people are going to bring some refreshments out, and you'll get to uh, enjoy some food and drink as I'm talking. Uh, I'm uh, going to be a little bit interactive today. I've got a couple of questions for you to um, discuss in your little groups. Um, but just kind of whatever springs to the top of your mind. We don't have time today to go in depth like we will um, next week. So just kind of setting things up there. Yeah, so this, this breaking bread, this food that we're going to be sharing uh, will be our communion for today. Um, it's how we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus um, said that when you come together, uh, he asked his disciples to share bread and wine and to, to remember him. And so that's what we'll be doing um, uh, as we're gathered around the table having this food. I, um, I love the sacrament of communion, having our little cups and our little 
quiet uh, reflection space. Uh, but I believe that Jesus was talking about um, something a little bit more uh, when, he, yeah, when he asked his disciples to do that. He was asking his followers to remember him and talk about him whenever they gathered together and shared a meal. Uh, and it's not that um, it doesn't have to be one or the other. We can do both, uh, and we will do both and do do both. And today I just wanted to draw our attention to that more fuller aspect of what it is to celebrate the Lord's Supper and to perhaps maybe um, encourage or challenge you to think about how we can be intentional about doing that uh, in our lives and with our um, friends and whānau and just the people that we're bringing into our homes. Cool. So... Uh, now's the time to do a little bit of moving. So if you can um, stand up and a couple of people maybe drag some tables in um, and gather around a table closest to you and then uh, our young people will bring out a bit of kai for us. And then I'll say a karakia and then we'll uh, get into it. I'll just uh, say a karakia and feel free to uh, enjoy. E te atua whakapainga e nei kai, he oranga mō o mato tinana. Fangaya hoki o mato wairoa kite taro o te ora. Ko ihu karaiti to mato ariki. Ake, ake, ake. Amen. Lord God, bless us food for the goodness of our bodies, feeding our spiritual needs also with the bread of life. Jesus Christ our Lord, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. So the reading that I'll be sharing from is from John 4, verse 3 to 42. And I'm just going to read that now in the New Living Translation. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time, because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband, for you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it no longer will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews." But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. 
When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then, the disciples come back. They're shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them have the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we are gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvest, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work, and now you'll get together the harvest. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the saviour of the world. In this story, there are two messages that I'd like to highlight. The first is given to the Samaritan woman and to her village. It is a message of hope. It is the good news, the gospel, that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing in him, you will receive eternal life. The second message was directed towards Jesus' disciples. Um, And this message was that the fields are ripe for the harvest. This was a call for them to be sharing the first message with others. The gift of God, this living water, is more important than food and drink, and it is to be shared. So what happened in this story? Jesus spoke to a Samaritan woman. Jesus declared himself as a Messiah to the Samaritan woman. The story keeps with the intentions of John's gospel, which is to reveal Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing people may have life in his name. Whereas previous stories we've looked at have described Jesus' miracles, which demonstrate who he is, in this story, Jesus clearly states who he is. This is the first time the good news is shared with the Gentiles in, the gospel, in John's gospel. Remember, a Gentile is a term for someone who's not a Jew. If the message had not been shared with the Gentiles, it never would have made its way to us. So there's this whole conversation about water. Jesus is offering the Samaritan woman everlasting life, but it seems she struggles to grasp what Jesus is saying. It is like the words go straight over her head. This is a pretty common occurrence in the Gospels, and I think sometimes it still happens to us now. When Jesus first asks for water, the Samaritan woman is surprised. She responds a bit abruptly. You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? She's used to being judged and rejected by Jews. And I imagine her thinking to herself, the cheek of this guy. Or maybe she's just genuinely confused. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. You don't even have anything to draw water with, she retorts. She must be thinking, who does this man think he is? Does he think he's better than our forefather Jacob? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus' response this time is even clearer. He switches from talking about a gift from God 
to talking about what he himself is going to give. A drink of water after which you will never thirst. A spring of water bubbling up to eternal life. Sir, give me this water, the Samaritan woman exclaims. And we think, yes, she's got it. She understands. Then she goes on to say, then I won't have to keep coming to draw water. She asks for the water, not really understanding what it is that she's asking for. But Jesus is not perturbed. Go, call your husband, he says. Jesus appears ready to make good his offer to her whole family. Only she doesn't appear to have a family. And Jesus reveals that, in fact, he knows she's had several husbands. This knowledge raises the Samaritan woman's esteem of Jesus. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. She's gone from calling Jesus a Jew to calling him sir, now calling him a prophet. But still she questions. The Samaritan woman has experienced a lifetime of discrimination by the Jewish people. She raises the disagreement between the peoples about where to worship God. Jesus then prophesies the end to this division. And he says, in fact, that time is now. Not to be outdone, the Samaritan states, Well, I know that the Messiah is coming. He'll explain everything to me. Then Jesus finally declares, I am the Messiah. Here's my first question for you all. Why didn't Jesus start with that? I am the Messiah. Can I please have something to drink? By the way, I also give you eternal life. <laughs> Seriously though, what do we think might be the reason that Jesus engaged with the Samaritan woman in this way? A sort of back and forth which gradually revealed uh, himself as the Messiah. So take a couple of minutes, just have a quick uh, chat about that. Um, yeah, why do you think he kind of addressed this woman this way? What was his purpose behind it? All right, can I just get a couple of people um, to yell out um, some of the points that came out at their tables? Why do you think that Jesus engaged with the Samaritan woman in this way? She started this table over here, Evelyn's table. Yeah, yeah, connection and relationship. Also, because he's the creator, he knew kind of where we're at and how to do that. Awesome, that's great. Thanks. Um, table over the back. We can't know what was in Jesus' mind uh, when he spoke to the Samaritan woman. But we do know that there would have been some barriers to her receiving the truth. Jesus was a Jew, and she was a Samaritan. Could she trust him? Jesus was a man. How had she been treated by men throughout her life? Also, it's one thing to believe the Messiah um, it will come, but if you meet someone on the street and they introduce themselves as the Messiah, elation uh, is not likely to be the first thing that you feel. Probably skepticism, weariness, maybe a little bit of fear. Yeah. So, kind of on the back of that, what do we think are the things that get in the way of the message of Jesus' message today? His offer of living water, a spring of water bubbling up to eternal life. Is it the messenger? Or is it perhaps a preoccupation with immediate needs? Just as the Samaritan woman was initially excited about not needing to come to the well every day. Or could it be something else? So in your groups, have a quick discussion about, I'm thinking about in our context, in our community, in Massey, what is it that can uh, be a barrier um, to people receiving that message of Jesus? All right. Maybe the table at the front over here. Do you want to share one of the ideas or something that you come up with there? It might be. The image or the associations with Christianity itself may be the barrier, but it's actually through that connection on that personal level that might get through that. Awesome. Thanks. Anything from the back table? So... Despite the barriers, Jesus does manage to connect with a Samaritan woman, and she does believe that he is the Messiah. And she races off into the village telling everyone, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? He told me everything I ever did. Seems like a bit of an exaggeration. 
<laughs> but I wonder if after her encounter with Jesus, she felt known by him. Whatever the case, she was obviously convincing because people came streaming from the village to see Jesus. Now we get to the second message. Jesus is talking to his disciples about food. And just like with the Samaritan woman, what Jesus is trying to say initially goes right over their heads. The disciples have returned and they're urging Jesus to have something to eat. And Jesus replies, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. The disciples ask each other, did someone bring Jesus food while we are gone? Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me, from finishing his work. Jesus then talks about the harvest. Jesus appears to be using food as a metaphor for the will of God or the work of God. Or you might even call it obedience. While the disciples are talking about physical food and not without good reason, Jesus is talking about spiritual nourishment. <clears throat> and when he talks about the harvest, he's talking about a spiritual harvest. Both physical and spiritual nourishment are important, though. In another story in the book of John, just after feeding 5,000 people, physical nourishment, Jesus declares, do not, work for food do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. John 6, verse 27. And then the people ask, what must, me do, what must we do to do the work God requires? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Later, in the same discussion, Jesus states that the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. From verse 34, Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Spiritual nourishment. But as I, then he says, but as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. So Jesus states that his food, his nourishment, comes from doing the will and the work of God. And the work that God would have us do is to believe in Jesus. But belief is more than an act of the heart or the mind. It is more than a decision about a particular truth. If we believe that something is true, then actions should follow that reflect that belief. If we believe that the concept of gravity is true, that there's a force uh, pulling everything towards the center of the earth, then we don't jump off a high place expecting to float or to fly. And if we believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the Messiah, the Son of the living God, then we should be living our lives in a way which reflects this. <clears throat> in this sense, belief may start with a specific decision, but belief is continuous and ongoing as it gets lived out in our life. I think this is similar to what Rod mentioned uh, when he shared six weeks or so ago about there being a link between words and works. He referenced John 14 verse 10 where Jesus says that the word, his words reveal the work of his Father in him. Do our words and our works reveal our belief in Jesus Christ? In a similar way, the eternal life that Jesus promised is not just a future thing. It's not just a life that begins after death. Jesus said that he came so that we may have life and have it to the full in John 10 verse 10. Or the New Living Translation puts it, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The eternal life Jesus promises begins when we choose to make Jesus the Lord of our life. Jesus is concerned about how we are living now. The nourishment he offers will endure to eternal life, but it begins now. Jesus, the bread of life, is offering to meet our needs. Part of that process may involve recategorizing what is actually a need. 
redirecting us away from that bread that spoils. Or as Tony put it in his message, focusing us not on what we want, but on what Jesus wants for us. But it does not mean that our very real physical needs are ignored. It is not uncommon for someone to first encounter Jesus through the fulfillment of a physical need. Having that physical need met often opens up the path to um, spiritual nourishment or belief in Jesus. So Jesus has shared the gospel, the good news with the Samaritan woman, the same good news that he shared with the disciples. The disciples believed, and the Samaritan woman believed. Now, as a village full of Gentiles streaming out to meet Jesus, he says to the disciples, Wake up and look around. The fields are ripe for the harvest. And the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. When Jesus looked around, he saw hungry people, people dying through a lack of spiritual nourishment. He called on his disciples to join in, in his work of revealing God's love, the gift of God, the gift that God has for his people. Jesus did this through his life and through his sacrifice on the cross. The disciples did this by pointing to Jesus with their words, but also uh, in the way they lived their lives as they tried to imitate Jesus' life. And I believe that as followers of Jesus, the call and the work remains the same for us. If we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then we'll do what he asks us to do. So next question. If we are to reap this harvest in our community, what is the work at hand for us? How do we overcome some of the barriers that we mentioned earlier? Some of the perhaps negative associations that there are of Christianity. Uh, Perhaps the preoccupation with the things of the world. How do we overcome some of those? So take a few minutes um, to brainstorm a few ideas in your um, groups and we'll come back. What do you think is the work at hand for us or what is some of the ways we might overcome these barriers that we've mentioned? So it's kind of like um, if you've got that relationship with Jesus yourself, um, sometimes you don't have to be as... (sighs) (laughs) You don't have to do extra work. That's something that's already evident to others uh, who are around you just through your interactions. That's great. But then there might be other extra bits that um, God's asking you to do and that's when that obedience comes in, whether you see the fruit or not. So, <clears throat> the final part of this message captures the response of the Samaritan villagers. They convinced Jesus to stay with them for two days, because, and because of his words, many of them believed in him. The villagers go back to the Samaritan woman and tell her, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the saviour of the world. The Samaritan woman's story of her encounter with Jesus was enough to get the villagers to come and meet Jesus. But after spending time with Jesus, they believed because of their own experiences of him. So it's one thing to tell people about Jesus, but how can we help people to experience Jesus, to really get to know Jesus? So, last question. Have a little bit of a chat about that one. I'll come back to you. Let's come to the front table over here. So it's one thing to tell people about Jesus. How can we help them to experience Jesus, to actually get to know Jesus? What were your thoughts? But it starts with us. Yeah, great, thanks. Back table? Um, yeah, and that's, yeah, that's right. So that is where the body of Christ comes in, yeah? It's us. One way people will experience Jesus is through us. In John uh, 13, verse 34 to 35, Jesus states, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you, must, you also must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. It is through the demonstration of our love for each other uh, that people will begin to experience Jesus. 
and even more so as our love is directed towards them. So this is the work uh, that we have at hand. Um, something that I think kind of sums up uh, an action, I guess, that I've heard from uh, you guys was meeting people where they're at, and that it's all about uh, relationships. Um, and it's also, in our, in our Western culture, it's, we're very individualistic, and it's very easy to think of, like, get stuck in this, uh, trap of what should I be doing? I should be doing more and getting negative and beating up ourselves about that. I was really uh, encouraged by Jesha's testimony a few weeks ago, and I liked how she pointed out, she said, this isn't my story, this is our story. And she recognized that her journey had been um, supported and was part of our whole church's journey, as in we were praying for her and we're kind of moving along together. And it's the same with this. This isn't what... Um, I need to be doing extra. This is what, how are we as a body of Christ going to be um, reaching out into our community? When I first tested out these questions on my wife, she said um, something along the lines, uh, kind of like people working to their strengths, like uh, one person might be doing this, serving here, someone else might be doing this over here, and just gave me that picture of that, the body of Christ, how Paul talks about all the different body parts all working together. And that's what it is. Um, but to support that, uh, we need to be sharing our stories with each other, sharing the little bits and pieces that we are doing, encouraging each other, and so that we're working uh, as a body that's, that's creating synergy, all uh, working well together. The, yeah, I'm kind of playing the long game with this message today, really hoping to set up the discussions which are going to happen uh, next week in your small group. Um, what I feel is that one of the things is what, when I think about what's the work at hand for us, it's seeing where God is already at work in our community and joining in with that. Um, and the flip side is seeing where that need is in our community and then going to that. Um, just like I think Joe's kind of mentioned the, um, the parallel. Jesus sometimes is meeting the, the water, the need, the actual physical need that people have. Uh, but also alongside that is bringing in that living water. And there's a lot of real physical need uh, in our community, um, including that social and emotional need. Um, and as we step out uh, and meet, begin to meet that need, that is where Jesus is going to be revealed as well. Yeah. So the gift of God, this living water, is more important than food and drink, and it's to be shared. In the story, Jesus demonstrated connecting with a person in such a way that they are able to hear the truth of his message. And Jesus' disciples are implored to reap the harvest, to continue Jesus' work, not just by telling them about Jesus, but by loving them like Jesus. And that's our work too. So I'm just going to pray, and then um, yeah, leave you with that. God, I thank you that you do love us, that you gave your life for us, and that you are always there, ready to, to pour your um, life out into our lives, Lord, to meet our physical and our um, spiritual needs, Father. I pray that you would help us to um, overcome any of those barriers in our own personal relationship uh, with you, Lord. As has already been acknowledged uh, today, that's the, 
the first step um, to sharing with others is actually having that right relationship ourselves. Um, pray that you would build that stronger, Father, as we as we seek you. Um, so much so that it will become evident to all those around us, Father. And then, yeah, help us with that next step, Father. Give us uh, your wisdom, your guidance, your courage to, obe- to be obedient. Help us to know uh, the ways that we're already doing it, just in the, in the little things that we naturally do in our, our lives, Father. Help us to love like you loved us, Father. Even when, it's, when that's hard or when that's scary, Father. And help us to do that in a way that's uh, safe and appropriate, Father. Help us to know the boundaries that you would have in place for us too. As we go throughout our week, Lord, I pray that you would just um, keep putting answers to these to the, to the question of uh, what is the work at hand for us in our community, Father, on our hearts, and that as we come together next week uh, to discuss... Uh, some of these aspects more, that we'd be able to come out with that with some, some steps, some concrete actions, some ways that we can um, be doing this, Father. I pray that you would help us to also share the stories in the little ways that uh, we are already doing this, because they are an encouragement, Father, um, to one another. Uh, and I thank you for the strong legacy or heritage that... Um, MCC has of, of doing that, of being in our community, Father, thinking particularly of the, um, the lives that have been touched through Celebrate Recovery, Lord. Yeah. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.